Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We are here on audio podcasts through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. We are on our website where we live stream the video version Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And audio versions are stored uh, just below where the video is streamed uh, at faithonhill.com. You can also find the video version on our Facebook page at Faith on Hill. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill on Facebook and Instagram. And throughout the week, we meet in small groups. And you can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. This is an online service. So yes, while we are meeting in person at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, we know that times have changed, technology has changed, so we have an online option. But online doesn't mean disconnected. We have an online small group that meets on Zoom on Wednesday nights. We have uh, connections through our Facebook page and other social media. There's ways to be actively involved in a church family while still being online. So all of those options are available, and if you want more information, you can email adam at faithonhill.com. Of course, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at Faith on Hill. We're a church in the Milwaukee, Oak Grove, and Gladstone area just south of Portland. And we are studying the Gospel of Matthew a couple weeks ago, before Holy Week, we began Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus has come down from the mountain. He's been preaching. He comes down now. He's healing people. And as, as he heals people, the crowds grow, and people want to follow him, but then they find out the cost of following Jesus. And you can go back a few weeks back and hear those Bible studies. But it says that he got in a boat and went to the other side of the lake. Now we pick up, after we've spent a couple Sundays with Palm Sunday and Easter, we pick up when he gets to the other side of the lake, Matthew chapter, 28, uh, chapter 8, verse 28. And it says, when he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. So imagine the boat comes up to the lake shore, and like we talked about with Good Friday and Easter, tombs likely doesn't mean that like there were headstones or a cemetery like we have it, but likely a bunch of caves. You can imagine sort of a wind-worn rock face along the shore, and there were natural caves there or places where people had dug out to expand the caves, and those were the tombs of the community. And it says that when they got there, these two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So it had become an unusable area because of these men demonically aggravated violence. Verse 29, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Meaning they know that they have a coming judgment. The demons, there's this idea that demons are the ones that if you go to hell, you'll be tortured by Satan and his demons, and it's their job to punish all the bad people in the bad place. And then it's God and his angels, the good place's job to reward the good people. That's not what the Bible ever says. The, the demons are why hell exists. That hell is not currently occupied. That the demonic forces are active and at work in this world and that there will come a time when they are cast into hell for their justice and judgment. So they say, hey, why have you come now? It's not the appointed time. And some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. 
We don't know why, but apparently the implication is, is that these demons liked inhabiting physical things, physical bodies. And so they said, okay, if you're not going to let us be inside these two men, at least let us go over there because that's better than just wandering openly. So he, that's Jesus, said to them, go. So they came out of the men and went into the pigs. And then the whole herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. So those tending the pigs ran off into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And they saw him. They pleaded with him to leave their region. This is God's word. I want to start off by reminding us that we unapologetically believe in the supernatural. And you know what? It seems odd that I even have to say that. Because last week, we proclaimed that God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, was crucified and three days later rose from the dead, seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. The idea that Jesus cast out demons and sent those demons into pigs is not nearly the boldest claim that the Christian faith makes, not even close. But yet it's funny how we are incongruent. We, we, we will say, this is okay and this is not. It, to give a more positive spin, it kind of reminds me of an old Jim, ja- Jim Gaffigan joke where he says, you know, it's like a kid comes and says, mom, can I have pa- uh, cupcakes for breakfast? I want cupcakes for breakfast. And the mom says, no, you're going to have fried cakes with sugar syrup, right? Because we're okay with waffles or pancakes with syrup for breakfast, but not a frosted cupcake. That's dessert. You know, uh, the morning after Easter, we let our boys have some leftover carrot cake. Because what's the difference between leftover carrot cake and leftover cinnamon rolls? Well, cinnamon rolls are breakfast sugar, and carrot cake is dessert sugar. But truthfully, the carrot cake's probably healthier. Yet, we have this incongruity. It's the same thing. We don't, bl- we don't blink when Christians proclaim Jesus risen from the dead. We don't blink when we say that God changes a human heart and brings us from our spiritual death into spiritual life through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if we say that Jesus cast demons out of a couple of guys, wait a minute, that's backwards thinking. That's superstitious nonsense. Is it? Now, I think there are three main things that I get from this interaction that Jesus has. On the other side of the shore, we see three things. The first is that Jesus cares about individual people. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is over on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and there he is healing people. The crowds are gathering. People want to follow him, and he leaves all of that momentum and goes to the other side of the shore for two men. That's all that Jesus does. He gets to the other side. He delivers two people, and then he goes back. Jesus cares about individual people. One of our Lord's most well-known teachings was the teaching of the one sheep and the 99 sheep. And he said, which of you having a hundred sheep, and if one of them goes astray, you leave the 99 sheep and go find that one lost sheep. Jesus is just practicing what he preached. He's living consistently. He says, I care about these two people enough that I will leave the crowds I will leave all this momentum. I will leave all of this 
uh, upswing and uh, surge in popularity and notoriety. I'm going to leave all of this, and I'm going to go over here to a more, uh, a not cool area, a not populated area, and I'm going to go and I am going to minister to these two people. And no one else wants him, but these two guys need him. God cares about individual people. You know, sometimes in America, we only care if a lot of things are happening. And we have a tendency at times to devalue or discredit the small works of God. But God works in the lives of individual people. And it was these two men that Jesus left the crowds for and went to the other shore so that he could work in their lives. Now, there is a biblical inconsistency. <gasps> what do you mean by that? I thought you said the Bible is all true. I believe that. And yet, there are disagreements uh, in some of the details. Mark, in his gospel, and Luke, in his gospel, both recount this story. And in general terms, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all agree Jesus left the western side of the Sea of Galilee where he was having great success. He went to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and he went to this region of the Gardenes or of the, um, sometimes it's called the Decapolis or the Gennesaret. It was this region on the eastern side made up of 10 small villages that were uh, culturally Greek but ethnically Hebrew. And there he ministered and he cast out demons, and those demons went into this herd of pigs, and the herd of pigs ran down into the sea, and they all died. And then the, the people of the town said, please leave. We don't want you here. Matthew, Mark, Luke all tell this story, and they all agree on that. Here's the disagreement. Mark and Luke say that there was one man. Matthew says there's two. Now, I read a lot of history. I rarely read fiction. In fact, I would say that this year uh, I have read more fiction than I have in the three years prior. I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of history. And I've read a lot, enough history to know that we have no trouble with this. Somebody who's a respected historian could write a history of something that happened within living memory, and someone else who is another respected historian could write a history of the same events, and they have different opinions of what happened. And instead of saying one's right and one's wrong, we say each of them come from a different point of view, and they add depth to our understanding. It's good to read a biography from one person and then from another. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but there's a very famous meeting, this place called Placentia Bay in Canada, and it was the first time that Roosevelt and Churchill met as world leaders in World War II. I have read biographies from the British side. I have read biographies from the American side. I've read biographies from the de Gaulle French perspective, and they all agree on the big ideas and in like 95% of everything, but the disagreements come from little details, personality perspectives, all of that kind of thing. It could be that Matthew just remembered there being two and that Luke and Mark were told there were one. That could be. I don't think that changes in any way the authority or inerrancy of Scripture. I think that there are just two perspectives. I have a theory 
It's just my opinion. So don't think that I'm teaching this as biblical fact or it's what happened. This is just my speculation, but I think it's pretty good speculation. Because even if it's not what's happening here, it's certainly what happens in people's worlds even today. Mark makes it clear that the man who the demons were cast out of wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, you need to stay here and tell people here what's happened to you. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going back to the other side of the shore, but I want you to stay here. And I want you to live among your friends, your family, your, your enemies, your neighbors, people who've known you and knew what you were when you were demon-possessed. And I want you to show them what it looks like when you have been set free by the power of God. I want you to proclaim all that I've done. I want you to do the preaching work here while I go back over there. Here's my theory. Two men were delivered that day, but only one of them wanted to follow Jesus. That's my theory. I have seen the deliverance of God in people's life. In fact, Jesus himself tells, tells a story of somebody who had demonic dominance in their life. And God set them free. The demons were expelled. They received freedom. And, he, and it was, it's, they said it's like, it's like a person whose house was like squatters had come in. You know, somebody had broken in while the house was uh, unoccupied and they had taken it over. They had trashed the place. They are kicked out. And then everything gets cleaned up. The house gets restored. But they don't ever change the locks. They leave the doors open. And then they come back with more people and it's 10 times worse than before. It could be that the second man was freed but did not follow. And there are people who have seen the work of God, the grace of God in their life. They've seen the deliverance of God. They've experienced or tasted the goodness of God. And yet they themselves have not surrendered to Jesus. Maybe they got some Bible knowledge. They, they tried biblical morality. They were a church attender. They tried to be a spiritual person, but they never surrendered their life to Jesus. There are people who have been in the church for 40 years. And then one day they realized, I don't think I've ever surrendered my life to God. I know about God. I know about the Bible. I can give you answers for the Christian faith. I genuinely live in a Christian way, but I have never surrendered my life to God. It could be that this second man was freed, but did not follow Jesus. It's a possibility. So Jesus cares about individual people, and God's work in one person can change a world. I didn't say change the world, but change a world. What I mean by that is this. The community rejected Jesus. The community there said, please go away. He, he didn't change that community, but he changed that guy's world. Our primary demographic at Faith on Hill is educators. You can't fix everything, but there are students whose lives have been positively changed by educators, by somebody who cared about them. I was listening to a podcast recently uh, from a guy who was like, you know, horrible childhood, horribly abusive childhood, horribly dysfunctional childhood, massive life-dominating sins. And he said, the first decent person I ever met was a teacher. Now, you don't have to be a teacher. 
You don't have to be a pastor. You can just be a person who is surrendered to God and through caring about somebody, through listening to somebody, through praying for somebody, through walking alongside over the long term with somebody, you can change a world because of the power of God. Does it mean that everything's going to get better? No, but it, it can get better for that person. It can get better for that situation. Maybe the rest of your family stays dysfunctional for the rest of time, but you've broken that cycle of abuse. You've broken that cycle of dysfunction. You've broken that cycle because you've surrendered your life to God and through the work of God, not anything that we've done, but through the work of God's spirit in us, that cycle is broken. And so your kids, your grandkids will not experience the pain, the hurt, the sin that you experienced in your upbringing. That's a story that's repeated over and over again. God's work in one person's life can change a world. Might not change the whole world. There will still be problems. There will still be sin. There will still be mess. But it can change a world. God cares about the individual. His work in an individual can change a world around them. But it's messy. He sends them to the pigs. He just ended the livelihood of people. Those pigs themselves were an act of sin because they were not to be had under the Old Testament law. God cleansed them. They were living in sin and rebellion to God. And, God, and Jesus said, we're going to get rid of that. But that's messy. Now they have to find new jobs, new sources of income. Now all of a sudden they have to deal with the changes. Here were these guys and we understood them when they were crazy, but now they're, now they're freed and it was because of a Jewish rabbi? It gets messy. And what happens for believers is if some, the mess doesn't get cleaned up right away, we don't know what to do with that. And we don't know how to walk with people through the mess. And what happens sometimes with people who say, I know I should follow Jesus, but if I do, it's going to be messy. And it's easier for me to say, I'm going to ignore Christianity and just continue to live in the mess as much as I know it's, it's not what is best for me. As much as I know that God is true, as much as I know that God can change my world, I don't want to get into the mess. Jesus cleanses the area, and I have, again, I love bacon. There's nothing against that in the, in the new covenant of grace that we live under. But for them in that moment, that was a sinful act. And he cleanses them, and it gets messy because now there's people whose livelihood is gone. Now there's people who just have to figure out what's next. And we live in that today. When you think about the amount of Dominate, life-dominating sin that exists between substance abuse, between family dysfunction, between uh, totally rejecting the biblical sexual ethic. All of these things come together. How do I live as God wants me to live? How do I walk in the pure holiness of God, in love and in truth? It's hard. And for us to move from where we are to where God wants to bring us is messy. Those of us who are believers, we need to get comfortable walking with people through the mess. Those of you who say, I know that I need Jesus, but I am scared because if I go towards him, I don't know what has to get taken away. Let me tell you, it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's better to have your whole livelihood stripped away and have the kingdom of heaven, to have forgiveness of sins, to have the, the peace of God in your heart than to continue in a stable environment that will lead to your destruction. 
Jesus cares about individual people. He cares about you. He cares about your family. He cares about your neighbors. He cares about your coworkers. He cares about the people at school with you. He cares about individual people. And his work in an individual person can make more difference than we could ever dream. But it gets messy. And it's worth it. It's worth it. God bless you. May the peace of God go with you. May you know the power of God as we follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he lands, whatever side of the lake he's on, because it'll change the world.